Hey friends, it's been a while, man. That was that was a lot of fun. I got to spend a, some time in the mountains with my son. Uh, we checked out Mount St. Helens and um, Mount Baker up in northern Washington. It was nice to be able to get some time with him, especially when you just get caught up being so busy, you know. And then I got to. Uh, send him off to school which was a pretty hard thing for me to do but I try to be of service to him as much as I can and I think things are give and takes and compromises and trying to find creative solutions for unique problems if you will you know taught me a lot about um, personal resolve and the time that I spent with my son kind of realized that I didn't try to spend as much time getting to know people around me as I do trying to get to know strangers. So I want to do a podcast with my aunt. Um, I won't get too personal, but when I was a kid, I moved from uh, California around like 10 and I never went back and that's where all my family lived until recently I saw some of my family in California about two years ago and that was the first time in over 10 years and even during a visit you don't really get a deeper level of knowledge about someone that's why I like doing these podcasts in the first place is through long form conversations, you get to know people in different ways. And yeah, it's an excuse, if you will. <laughs> and I was always been fascinated by the, the medical industry. So I brought my aunt on and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. She's a... Hold on, let me check the terminology just to be sure. She's an oncology nurse. And she's been doing it for, I believe, 18 years. It really changes a person when you've been around so much death, suffering. And, and not in some morose way either from the people that I've encountered anyways. And just understanding. Because when you're around people who are at the end of their life, they completely let their guard down. And it's easier for you to get to that place too. And you just realize that, I don't know, life does not last. At least some. But I'll step out of my own way and I'll get to this episode. I'm not going to play you guys into the music, but if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and share it with your friends. Tag a friend. Um, if you've got any suggestions 
feel free to email me or DM me on social media. And if you like, if you shop on Amazon, you can also head over to the website killyourking.com to go through the Amazon affiliates link. And you can buy all your stuff at no extra charge to you. And I'll get a small percentage of that. Legally, I can't say that it promotes the podcast. So, it promotes my sexual deviant needs. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy. There, is the weather pretty nice? Hot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, this, this week, a little bit cooler. Last week, we're in the three digits every day. Really? Yeah. Oh God, I haven't been in the three digits in years. I kind of miss that sometimes. Makes yeah, you. Yeah, we we like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Warms the bones up. Yeah, it does warm the bones up. I, and I also like um, when you're kind of forced into uncomfortable situations because that, mm-hmm. whether it's too hot or too cold, because I think um, health wise it must be really good for you, and also yeah. psychologically too. Right. Right. Yeah, I, yeah it, it builds your tolerance. Yeah, it, it does. And it's not that discomfort is not for risk of life, necessarily. Right. It's just, yeah, right. and that, I kind of uh, felt that when I started doing ice baths. Yeah, it, that's crazy, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, it, it kind of was. It, it's kind of, I got inspired to do it because I was working out in the cold. And yeah. it was miserable, and I was really... Um, I, I didn't want to work there basically after that. Right. And I was, it was like uh, zero to five degrees outside and uh, wind chill, put it in the negatives. And my hands would get so wow. cold that I, I couldn't like work wrenches or anything. Right. And after a while, I, I started noticing some other guys and uh, it bothered a lot of people, but there were like a handful of guys where they were indifferent to it. And I I didn't understand if there was anything different between us or if they were just used to it. And that's where I got into the whole ice bath thing. Did they participate in the ice bath or not? They did not participate in the ice bath. They were actually born uh, in the area. So they've always been around snow. Yeah. And that's where I wondered if I would be able to manipulate um, my tolerance with the cold. Sure. And then yeah. I got into like this guy called uh, Wim Hof where he mm-hmm. got up to like, I think the death zone up in Everett or on Everest. Mm-hmm. And he did it in shorts, no shirt. Oh and my sandals. God. Yeah. And he was taking people to do it too. Like he'd teach them uh, the pranayama, which is like a breathing exercise that puts your body mm-hmm. into a, 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 I don't really like a heightened state in a way that right, right. it's able to handle uh, stresses better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. it's a trip. He even had the record for like a longest distance uh, swam underneath of the ice. I think it was for like a mile and he had to quit because wow. his cornea froze. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we definitely can control our bodies more than we're aware. Mhm. And I, I think um, in ways that that we can control our bodies in ways that we're probably not aware, and how our emotional states influence our health. Absolutely. I find that fascinating. Like people um, who are stressed out all the time, and their bodies kind of 
uh, pumping the brakes, if you will, and breaking down left and right. Yep. It yep. um, causes inflammation. And as in, so you've, have you seen that in patients before? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. People who don't, who do not have great support networks, you know, mm-hmm. so their treatments are more stressful to them. Um, they don't handle it as well, and it's because of the psychological component of it. Absolutely. Oh, wow. And yeah. is, is there, within our medical communities, is there um, uh, res- resources for them or a strong connection between uh, turning them to mental health? You know There's what I mean? resources for them, mm-hmm. but... Um, interesting a lot of people actually um, shy away from those resources and in my opinion there is not enough for mental health though because those are two totally different right psychological and mental Um, our mental health system stinks in my opinion Mm -hmm. it's lacking I completely agree with you and we um, culturally too Uh we don't it's shunned to kind of go to a psychologist or go do any kind of therapy as if like there's something wrong with you and that that would alienate you in some manner. Yeah. Unfortunately, people see it as a weakness and it's actually quite the opposite. If you can say, look, I need help with that. That's actually a strength, Mm -hmm. but, but everybody else looks at it as a weakness. I agree. And you talking about um, thresholds for um, temperature tolerance. Mm-hmm. It, it's I see it as almost the same thing as that, and the same thing as um, doing any kind of physical exercise. Is mm-hmm. you're seeking, you know, out outside uh, infrastructure, institution, uh, dots and ideas that are outside your own little uh, right. idea of your world, and right. providing you ways to, I, I guess, cope better or cope more effectively. Right. And exactly. I, that is something that we don't really talk about that much. And um, in my experience with uh, athletics and creative pursuits, I've mm-hmm. learned that, like when I looked at like a bodybuilder, I would think, um, bodybuilder is a bad example. Someone just going to the gym who's trying to uh, maintain fitness, if you will. And you, you, I would have imagined that, okay, they're just trying to be strong. But some people... Um, take it to another level to where it's more of a mental game with the physical mm-hmm. consequence of actually being strong. It's the maintaining the discipline every day to go in and right. also to move past the insecurities of uh, either mm-hmm. trying to put too much weight on at once because that'll cause you injury. And so like navigating that kind of place, it's almost like it cultivates uh, a psychological strength. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and we don't really talk about that, in, nor do, do we focus on that in in our um, education system as I was growing up in. Right, right. In, no, it, it doesn't. I mean, our education system doesn't talk about that at all. In, in your experience in the medical community, um, when you guys have patients coming in, is that something that's talked about with patients, or does it kind of look the other way? For the psychological support? Yes, yeah, so the mental health. So if you see someone where um, they have some well, ailment, is that considered? It is considered in, in my field. It, we're more sensitive to it because of what I, we do. We deal with, you know, 
cancer patients, right? Mm -hmm. So we understand that there's often mental um, um, emergencies, right, that need to be dealt with. Um, So, no, we're actually pretty sensitive to it. Um, Now, like as a whole in the medical industry, I think we're not sensitive enough. Yeah. Like in the ER and stuff, you know, unless somebody's suicidal, they don't, they don't, um, they don't spend the time needed mm-hmm. unless it's an urgent situation. That's my opinion. That reminds me of the correlation from uh, the rise in the homeless population when, was it yeah. Reagan or Nixon who shut down the institution? Reagan. Yeah. He did a very, very poor um, job with um, mental health. He he shut down so much. That's... Yeah, and our homeless population is ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's getting going through through the roof. In in Seattle, I noticed that a lot of we are having these RV issues where people are living in RVs on the sides of the streets. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that's you know, that's a weird culture that that's here and then i go to idaho and i notice that it's the same thing it just exploded mm-hmm. recently mm-hmm. yeah so i work in sac and i was amazed um repulsed actually at the amount of homeless um the population of the homeless mm-hmm. it's it's disgusting we're not doing enough for them you know um and so at, what they are doing is just putting a band-aid on it it's not actually taking care of the situation like so you know there's other countries that actually they have homeless little towns you know for homeless people and and they build a culture for them and you know they have to participate in it you know um to the complete infrastructure of the town which is great i mean i don't know why we're not doing something like that and then on top of that, you know, getting them the mental um, help they need. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree, too, because when we um, try to homogenize these individuals mm-hmm. in, um, into our own culture, our own very specific way of living, instead of, you know, removing that identity, uh, I also I think that can be kind of difficult, too, to adjust. And that's interesting, providing them an area where they have to, um, as individuals, have, or as a community, rather, have to maintain it. And right. putting that responsibility in their own hands. That, that seems more empowering than disenfranchising. Exactly. Right, right. Te- teach people how to fish instead of fish for them, right? Yes, exactly. And, it, it, yeah. and that's, that's kind of, it's hard to assume that the individual is going to be born or that their parents are going to facilitate them with appropriate coping mechanisms and um, the understanding of reality. Like that. Yeah, but and see, but that's just it. So you know, if if a parent has a child who is paranoid schizophrenic, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they don't necessarily know what help to get them and how to deal with that child, you know. And so then that that child grows up and can't cope within the norm, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then ends up job hopping and then can't have a place to live, blah, 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 right? And then they start self-medicating because they're trying to quiet down the storm inside them. I mean, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, it is a vicious cycle. And 
um, not addressing it just exacerbates the issue mm-hmm. until yep. it builds up to it comes to a head. And it, it's really hard because in this situation, there isn't necessarily anyone who's intentionally creating exactly. this. Like you can't. You, right. And if the minute that we ever like you try to point fingers, um, it, it just becomes very difficult because that's what we often want or desire is you know a black right. and white like this Plain is, blame. yeah exactly and that's what i've had a really interesting experience do interviewing some of um, homeless individuals <laughs> and a lot of it that i have encountered it is honestly mental health issues and if there is any like uh use of substances it's just trying to cope with being on the streets and it's like holy Mm -hmm. crap and not that it's an excuse but it's in the sense of um their use of substances are relative to the use of pretty much anyone else's you know substances right right no difference than anybody else drinking a glass of wine a day yeah right that that's a that's an abuse right exactly or like a frat guy is going off on the wall and he's doing Mm -hmm. avenger and i don't think that it's the problem of the drug itself. It is something else that's underlying, and you can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, what Absolutely. Kind of, what? So, what field do you work in within the medical industry? Oncology. So that's cancer. Oh wow. And I give, I administer chemotherapy and biologics to patients. Um, so biologics are. Um, like antibodies, monoclonal antibodies that we try to tell the body to change its um, formation of the cancer growth. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um. How long have you been in this um, in this field within the industry? Eighteen years. Eighteen years. So when you got out of um, medical school, is this what you went directly into then? Yeah, so what I did was I went to I um went to J C and got my just my AS mm-hmm. and then went on and also went through nursing school at that same time. Is nursing school uh pretty rigorous in its time demands, having to do like a residency? Incredibly course? rigorous. Oh. You carry about twenty to twenty two units a semester. Whoa. Um and that's with your clinicals, you know, so you, you can't work through it. Um Although I did my last, um, actually all through it, just varying of how many hours I worked. What did you do for work in between? Um, just uh, like a bookkeeper. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, just silly things, just to get some money in. Yeah, to wheel and deal. Yep, yep. And um, then right after I graduated from the um, associates in nursing school, I went in to um, a program for uh, my BFN, so Bachelor's in Science and Nursing. Mm-hmm. And then from there, wow. I was hired by a hospital on what we call my intern committee. So that's um, a permit before I actually passed my um, my exam for my RN. But when I graduated, I graduated with... Um, dual honors so they were pretty confident that I'd pass. Oh wow, congratulations. Yeah. And um then it was just history from there. I love I love the 
population that I work with. Originally, I thought I wanted to be uh, L&D nurse. That's labor and delivery. Oh, okay. Um, and then my second choice was OR, so operating room. Ooh, that and I, Yeah, and I had a fabulous professor who actually gave me extra time in the field that I thought I wanted. Um, in our, we had to do rotations in all of these fields, right? Mm-hmm. And it didn't work out the first two, <laughs> my choices. Really? Because, yeah, no, not at all. Because I had no tolerance for a woman screaming and being out of control. Oh, when yeah. she was laboring and her baby was in trouble and she was actually harming her baby because she's not focusing to get that baby out of her. Oh. So I ended up like, I, I cupped her, her face with my hand and got in her face and told her she had to stop that nonsense and focus and push this baby out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and the doctor stopped and looked at me. It was great. And then everybody just kept going with what they were doing, right? Yeah. And later that afternoon, I went to my professor. I said, yeah, L&D is not for me. And she said, I heard. <laughs> oh, gosh, like a Coach Carter. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. So I said, okay, OR. So went to the OR, and she put me on a um, a long um, case, so nine-hour surgery, right? Wait, surgeries go that long? Oh, gosh, yeah. There's like 12-hour, 14-hour surgery. Oh, my gosh. So, so I'm getting impatient, Will, right? Yeah. Um, you know? And so I kind of start, like, rocking from my heels to my toes, right? Uh-huh. And the surgeon previous to that was awesome. He said, get a, get the stool over there and come right behind me and look so that you have my view. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was great. That's and I was so like, cool. Awesome. Yeah, and so he's in this person, right? And then I got down from that because I got tired of doing that, right? Mm -hmm. And then I went over to the other side of the patient, so I'm across from the surgeon. And so I start rocking on my toes like that, and I kind of like knelt down and stood up. And the surgeon stopped what he was doing and looked at me and said, is that necessary? (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And I said, "Uh, no, I'm going to excuse myself. And he said, thank you. Yeah. So, again, went to my professor and said, yeah, OR is not for me. And, again, she said, I heard. (laughs) So, she said to me, I want you to try oncology. And, of course, I gasped. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to do oncology. And she said, Tony, I've given you the opportunity to explore what you thought you wanted. And it didn't work out. So, you need to trust my instinct and you need to try and actually put all your efforts into it to what I think you would fit best in. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my gosh, as I said to her, when I hit that floor in the oncology department, it was like going home. Really? Yeah, it was wow. such a wonderful fit, straight up. That's so cool. So that's it. And what was, yeah, uh, yeah. what was the thing that that resonated with you the most? If you could recall. Being able to help people in such dire situations. Oh, um, I see. And, and really, you're making a difference. Mm-hmm. Because, um, because I, I've always felt like that's why I'm here. You know, I believe, my, my, my moral belief is that we're here to serve one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can do that every day. And I actually really make a difference. It's not, there's no fluff to it or anything. 
I mean, and and you make a difference even in a bad situation or a good situation and everything in between. Mm. You know, I just feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's awesome. So you get the whole spectrum in a way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, there's times it's really sad and really draining. I've, I've, oh, I have been present in well over a hundred deaths. Wow. You know, and, and, you know, some were beautiful and mm-hmm. some were horrible. You know? Yeah. How, how, um, how is your, the way that you've uh, coped with that? changed over the years like what did it, um, it was it hard for you initially or is it always something yeah. that you've been able really well no it was hard at first yes um you know because i just didn't understand the process as much you know mm-hmm. but it didn't take long to understand the process and i'm not talking just about the physiological i'm talking about the psychological process yes you know um, I mean, the physiological doesn't take time at all to really understand what's going on. Nice. Um, but um, as soon as I got a good hold of the, um, the psychological process, yeah, no. And, and I'm not saying it, it isn't sad. I mean, so, you know, there's different... There's, there's different levels to it. There is. Mm. Um, and it depends on on... I mean, okay... If I've got a 30-year-old patient who's dying, that's hard. Mm, yes. That's always hard. It doesn't matter what kind of death or what kind of acceptance they've come to. Mm-hmm. That's difficult. It, you it, know? It is. I, I've even experienced that when I worked in, the, in an LTAC, a long-term acute care. And mm-hmm. um, I had at least, what, only about like 10... 10, 15 patients that I got to know closely die there. Gosh, I don't really mean to say only, but um, and it it was really hard to deal with. And then after a while, it wasn't that it wasn't sad. It just, it didn't weigh on me as heavily. Right. Um, after I was able to identify kind of what you're saying is the, the uh, psychological patterns in a lot right. of ways. And, and especially if it was, once again, to support what you said earlier, their time. But when it, it was someone who who's leaving in agony, that was yes. re- really really difficult for me to to he, watch. Torturous. It, yes. It, yes, and, and it also in, informed my own perspective in my life. Not in terms of in like an anxiety, but a right. gratitude, if you will. Right. Yes. Mm. Well, my job daily. And I'm not saying I'm successful at it, but daily helps keep me in check how grateful and how fortunate I am. Yes. You know, I'm so blessed. Reminded the value of life on a nearly day basis. Right, because any one of us can leave today, right? Yeah. And, And, you know, this is a gift. Every day is a gift. Yeah, it really is, and it holds, like, an infinite amount of possibilities. Yeah, right? So shoot for the stars, right? Yeah, exactly. Because what's the worst-case scenario? Yep. Right? You don't make it, so you change routes, whatever, right? And yeah, and that's the thing to fall back on, too, is the idea that just nothing's permanent. So just why not? Yeah. That's the, that's the that's lowest right. risk thing possible is that nothing's permanent. 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So shoot for the stars, for heaven's sakes. Exactly. Because, that... you know, none of us have a guarantee of tomorrow. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And that's even what I, I heard from someone who, at that, the long-term acute care when they were riding a motorcycle, too. That was an interesting thing, is that he was paralyzed. He wasn't, um, nothing turned fatal, but... He was there for a while because he got into an accident and was paralyzed from um, with a motorcycle accident. And he told me that he he doesn't regret a day of it. And that was interesting, too, in in terms of, you know, I guess the value of a moment instead Mm -hmm. of your life as a whole. So it's like even doing something that may seem extremely intimidating or um, even risky and going for it despite that. Right. Yeah. So in the process, do you like work very close with individual patients or is it like you you hold? Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So you get you get a real person, a really personal relationship with your patients. Then. Absolutely. And there have been times, you know, so I'm, I try to be careful because mm-hmm. sometimes it's too easy to overstep boundaries. And, and, and I say that not to sound harsh, but because it's not fair to the patient to do that. Yes. You know, it's, it's very unfair because I've seen nurses in the past do that. Mm-hmm. And it's so unfair because they're too vulnerable and, and they they have a harder time separating boundaries, you know? Yeah. And so if a nurse just goes along with it entirely all the time, it's actually, it's just not right to the patient, you know? You can't, because it creates more anxiety in the long run to the mm-hmm. patient. For instance, you know, if one nurse tries to treat the same patient every time they come in, that's not fair because... Then when that patient comes in and if that nurse is sick or something or she's on vacation, she gets all stressed out. I've seen that. Like there was, I had a patient where um, she refused to eat and she just almost exploded. And it was because the nurse wasn't there and they were like, they formed this tight connection. I'm like, wow, that that could be really risky in the end because now she's putting her health at risk. Exactly. And that's, that's the whole, and, you know, go back to our earlier conversation, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, our mental health affects our physiological health, right? Yeah. So that's, that's just, that's a bad situation in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, you, you should never put yourself to where your, your patient relies on you so happily. Yeah. Because it, it's if you're really worried about the patient's well-being, you're doing them disservice. Exactly. It almost reminds me of saying, like, uh, for my son, if he's not at home with me, um, saying that I miss him uh, incredibly, like, overly, overdoing mm-hmm. it. Because then I just bring mm-hmm. out the agony when it is obvious that exactly. you miss him. So, yeah, I see that. Hmm. Yep, same thing. Because you know what? Humans are simple. Yeah. Our, our our psychological um, mapping and all of that is not really complex. We're simple. What are <laughs> what are like the biggest patterns that you've noticed in um, holding that same idea in mind? For like simple as in how? Uh huh. 
Uh, like uh, human beings are simple as in how. Like, how. How do you see that they're driven? Oh, well, unfortunately, they're often um, driven by greed, right? Yeah. Maybe. Unfortunately. So being successful in whatever that person's mind is successful, mm-hmm. you know, um, in control. Yeah, you know. control is a big one I've noticed with um, yeah. when I worked with patients. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, but but see, and a good provider will realize that, you know, I mean, you have cancer, you have zero control, right? Mm-hmm. But a good provider will will recognize that patient that that characteristic is a little bit stronger in them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you you definitely alter your treatment plan in the effect that you... Um, you give them the delusion of control. And it is a delusion, but that's fine because that's how they cope effectively. And it's not, you know, I don't want that to sound negative because it probably does as I say it. (laughs) Well, uh, well, I I know what you mean because when we were talking about our conversation earlier with uh, mental health, if you do something to... Uh, put someone in a panicky state or an untrusting state, uh-huh. it compromises their mental health and, and right. also uh, whatever protocol or treatment that you're about to provide them. Right. For instance, so I have a patient, and, and I'll tell you, sometimes it's frustrating because, you know, um, on an institution base, you know, we need to get these patients in and out because reimbursement stinks, so we need to get chair time at a minimum as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And you'll have this one patient that who's very type A and has a complete ritual, right? That it takes them 15 minutes to settle down before I can go and get their IV access and do my assessment and all of that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, of course the nurse has in the back of their head, we well, gotta get things rocking and rolling because I gotta get another patient in this chair, yeah. you know? But you have to allow for that. That's when then you back away, let the patient do what they need to do because that's their their mental well-being. If you try to rip that away from them, you're going to create chaos. Mm-hmm. Well, so you, ju- you just have to kind of, you have to learn your people. You're, you learn your patients. So you Even learn. if you just met them, you have to be able to stand back and just observe. So you got to learn to read people. So it's as much uh, medical as it is uh, psychological. Oh my God! Yeah. No, no, no. Nurses border being psych psychologists um, greatly. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you have you have to be able to read people quickly, um, at least in oncology. You know, like the ED, not so much because they're all about, you know, we're just taking care of this physical chaos right now and that's all we care about at the moment yeah because that's they're fixing emergencies essentially right exactly right where with what we do it's acute but it is chronic as well right mm-hmm. yeah and that's i guess my experience in long-term acute care that's kind of what i saw that supported that yes because we did yeah. have patients that, i think we were what 20 days or 30 days mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, so they got familiar and since nurses are nurses and CNAs are in charge with handling and managing the patient as opposed to the doctor, you, you were mm-hmm. definitely able to see um, 
that see that that was required because I've even had individuals where um, they were at odds with their care providers and mm -hmm. that was a mess. And even like their, yes. I don't, this is obviously anecdotal and so make of it what you would, but he, he was also like uh, physically a mess. Like he was yeah. having the most issues on top of it. And, right. and he would like be the person who, who would always be at odds um, with the care providers. But it, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. And it was yeah. hard to watch too because it's sometimes it's hard to watch someone suffer when you feel like you are subdued. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But see, and then there, there, you know, there are those patients that like actively try to split staff. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But th that's where the staff need to be astute enough. Mm -hmm. to understand what's going on and not allow it to happen in a very, very kind and gentle manner with the patients. Yeah, I've noticed that if you um, if you lead aggressively, it doesn't even matter mm -hmm. if it's patients, if it's just another human being. If you right. lead aggressively, you're, you're going to encourage that. So whereas, like, I, right. I, I've been around uh, very aggressive individuals and I've never really had any confrontation in my whole life. And mm -hmm. I... And it's I'm a very submissive person, but I I've watched mm -hmm. like friends that are close to mine where some of them are very aggressive, and and not even aggressive in a negative way. Sometimes right. yes, but you, you were able to just see in in their actions. I guess they were dominant, and right. when they came at a situation or similar people with aggressive with that tinge of aggression or led with aggression rather, it uh, it always created the problems. Whereas with the same right. people, I was, it's easy to diffuse the situation when you're right. yeah, not leading yeah. that aggression. Exactly. And don't fuel it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and it boils down to, and that's what, when I said we're just simple, you know, we're just energy, right? Yeah. We're a ball of energy. So it's how you channel that energy is what's imperative to, to most outcomes. I mean, obviously, there's some outcomes that you can't change that energy level. But for the most part, it's all um, you can manipulate the energy, right? Yeah, you can. And that reminds me of um, touching on cognitive, what, cognitive dissonance, cognitive bias. Yep. And it even reminds me of that whole... The idea of starting out your day and saying that you're going to be unlucky and then your brain starts to cherry pick all the unlucky situations throughout the day. Absolutely. To support your cognitive bias that it's going to be an unlucky day. And that right. in and of itself is so fascinating to me because reality um, is so malleable, whether or not that's yes. how you perceive it or literally you are able to, like you say, manipulate your own energy in that sense. That's right. That's right. And that's where the whole that whole um theory of the secret came along, you know. Mm -hmm. It's it's all about what you put out in the universe you get back. Yeah, cuz it's all energy. Yeah. And yeah. I I think though as with any I don't like to draw this correlation or not correlation but to uh use it cuz I think it's kind of cheap, but as like kind of like a computer program there's some hiccups sometimes and that's where you end yeah. up with people who like you know a child with cancer if you will like that, those are the hardest things to explain in those terms because that's like 
the idea of luck meets opportunity or yeah. something happened that was almost out of someone's control. And I yeah. I think most of the time that is how it works. And there's, as with everything, that 10% of, uh, of smudge. That, yeah. But I still think that that served some purpose. I mean, we may not know what the purpose is, I but do. it's still... Hmm? Yeah, I can definitely see that it does serve some purpose because, in all honesty, you do you get, and I hope this isn't to to denigrate someone who's going through it, but you do get a a novel perspective from it, mm-hmm. and your um, if you look at your threshold, not your threshold, but your spectrum of um, happiness, sadness, mm-hmm. and suffering, someone in those situations, uh. You you often hear that they're able to handle and endure so much. Yes. That if they're if that's their only existence, they don't know what it's like to start off as a kid and die as an old man or, or an right. old woman. Then they have lived their full fullest potential of happiness because nothing was necessarily robbed from them because that was the extent of their experience. Exactly. That's really interesting. Yep. Yeah. So it does all serve a purpose. It just, you know, we just don't have a crystal ball to know that purpose, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's not as uh, black and white and easily Mm -mm. seen as we like to think it is. No. Life's full of gray shades. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And surprises. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when you were going through medical school, especially with... You said so. It's uh, not medical school; it's just nursing school. Oh, nursing school. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no worries. You came through. You said double honors, correct? Yeah. And so that must have took a lot of discipline. Have you always been um, very disciplined, or was that? Yeah. Something? Really? Yeah. Wow. A little OCD. OCD. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say um compulsive. So what drives you is instead of the fulfillment of completion, it's the anxiety of incompletion. Yes. Yeah, okay. I, I like Bingo. that yeah. out because oftentimes uh, people, when I, like I said, with discipline, I would picture someone saying, I want this. And you're going along it and, you know, you're having a merry old time and you reach that, so what, you go on to the next thing. Whereas for some other people, like in my own pretend world, um, mm-hmm. it, it's like I have to do these things. So then I procrastinate and anxiety of fulfilling those things, which would be the opposite of what you're talking about. And right. so that's how I would imagine, though, a disciplined person would be. And in reality, yeah, no. it, it's always just, fearful that I wouldn't complete it. So I had to push hard through it. Yes. And that's what was surprised me is that other people are suffering, even though they attack life in a different way. Like they don't procrastinate. Their problem is the anxiety of not completing. Right. And it, and you've have you made any progress with um, um, not getting so much anxiety of you know, for not fulfilling your goals or is it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I try to be easier on myself. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think I'm greatly successful like that, <laughs> you know, um, but I'm trying not to um, set myself up to fail, you know, because my expectations are often um, extreme mm-hmm. and um I'm trying to realize that life's too short for that yeah. and that I shouldn't just worry about stupid little things. I understand that completely because when I went down the um, 
I started doing like a daily intention thing and Mm -hmm. writing out goals because I thought that I had an issue of procrastination um, throughout Mm -hmm. childhood and I, yeah, throughout childhood, I guess. And in the, it was great. I was really afraid of doing that any further. So then I swung the other way and Mm -hmm. like type A to where I obsessed over fulfilling all these goals at the end of the week. And I just felt like shit the whole time. But Right. Uh, my original intention was to find greater fulfillment, not necessarily happiness, right. that's not reliable, but uh, right. in, in the end, though, I created a shitstorm of anxiety instead of right. the other end of anxiety or procrastination and laziness. And um, it's yeah. interesting how it serves you, though, having like. I don't just like what you're saying is is kind of that balance is I wouldn't want to get rid of the not necessarily the anxiety but the fixation on accomplishing certain things. No, right, because in my head, if I don't have that, I'll become a lazy bum in my head, which I know better, right? Mm-hmm. But that's in my head. So I know I have to have goals um to help facilitate my drive. Yes. I see. So have you always laid out goals for yourself, like since high school, college? Mm-hmm. Nope. 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 I did not. Um, it was, I succumbed more to, well, unfortunately, you know, I had um, some pretty intense negative influence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who constantly echoed that none of it was ever a- obtainable. Mm. Ooh. So, you know, so I listened to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I finally got to a point, and it wasn't one event. It wasn't one person. I don't even know really what it was, Will. But I just got to a point, it was like, bull, bull. I can do whatever I want, and I know that. Oh, and this that is what I want. powerful moment for you. Or not even yeah. like one single moment, but yeah. It, it was over a course of like a year that I was like, no, why Why am I okay with everybody telling me you can't do what you want, mm. you know? And so I learned that I had to make an effort to stop being a victim. When you were doing that, was it um, a very bumpy transition? Yes. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was that yeah. uh, just a kind of... Uh, put us in a time frame was that during college or pre-college it was before when I finally had an epiphany I guess you could call it and you know I was in a real dysfunctional marriage but it just it completely parroted my dysfunctional um, childhood you know yeah so I just went on with what was familiar Um, and (laughs) yeah and so it was like it was it was very bumpy, and I made a lot of mistakes doing it, but I have no regrets. Mm-hmm. I still firmly believe I did what I needed to do for myself. Oh, okay, I see. You got that, and you're sounds like you you found that kind of grasp of courage in those moments over time. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a nice thing because I've um, I've been paralyzed by insecurities uh, when I was really <laughs> young, and I've been <laughs> acutely introspective like yeah. mining that transition i guess for over the past couple of years because i've always it's been nagging at me in very 
curious thing, because I remember what it was like to feel so tiny, small, weak, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the sense of where, like, I, I was just afraid that someone was just going to reject me for any reason. Not yeah. even, like, consciously. It influenced everything yeah. subconsciously. It's, yeah. Right. And, and who cares when it comes down to it if somebody rejects you? Because too bad, they're lost, right? Mm-hmm. But it takes such empowerment to come to that point. It really does, because yeah. then you're trusting your own self to support your value, like, mm-hmm. or to believe in your value, rather. And, that's right. And that's very difficult in, from what I've seen, which is not very large and um, very firsthand, if you will, is that a vast majority of people are sitting in the same boat. And yeah. sometimes it takes them a really long time or a very short time or maybe not ever. Or not mm-hmm. at all, like no time at all. Like there's just that whole spectrum in there. And yeah. um I was in my thirties. It 30s? took me that long. Whoa. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. It took me that long to figure it out. That really must have been a powerful moment then with all of that momentum kind of swelling and building. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. It's it could be such a hard thing too because they're they're really in your experience growing up were there any resources for you? On no, you mean as a child? Yes, as a child. No, no, no. Are you kidding? Um, and you weren't supposed to talk about any of the dysfunction, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, absolutely not. You, I mean, even sadly, and I understood it though. I never. Um, had any blame for my mom or anything, right? Mm-hmm. But she, it was so uncomfortable, me as an adult in my 40s, talking to her about what we went through, right, as children. And it was so hard for her. She didn't want to talk about it. She would rather pretend it didn't happen. And that was just her coping mechanism, right? Because obviously she felt responsible or guilty, which she should not have, mm-hmm. you know, but you can't take somebody's emotion away. Brings it up. It, exactly. You, you can't. And you're talking, I think, but I don't know. For me, if I don't talk about something, it tends to give it power over me. Right. And, but that's, I guess, my personal experience. And the, um, I find it really interesting that we're, I'm hopeful that we're having more and more conversations today. Mm-hmm. open as individuals because I oftentimes see more shutting down his, in the past generation but that could be me mm-hmm. being just ignorant because obviously I have not grown up in the previous generation I still think um, I still think it's equally um, subdued. I really do. I don't think that people talk about it more. Yeah. I think instead what they do is they just get busy with with stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And people squelch what really is going on. So, um, as a whole, I, I do think there's outliers, but I still think, um, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about before. People don't talk about their mental illness. They don't talk about their thought process. 
people who hear voices don't talk about it until it becomes unmanageable. Yeah. You know? Um, think about that. That's because if they did talk about it, um, we would we would be hearing about a lot of 12, 13-year-olds with schizophrenia, you know? And we're not. Not until they're, like, in their late 20s or 30s. Well, guess what? They didn't just suddenly become schizophrenic. Yeah. I mean, now there is theory that, you know, that it happens after an untoward event or after adolescence. But I'm telling you, a 30-year-old who was just recently diagnosed with schizophrenia, I'm pretty confident they had it for a long time. You know, it just got totally unmanageable. Or anxiety attacks, right? Um, You know, five-year-olds can have anxiety attacks, right? But they don't know how to articulate it, right? Mm -hmm. And so as they get older, they then just squelch it because it isn't whatever normal is. And and kids realize normal right away, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, they, they said because they recognize patterns very quickly. Absolutely, right away. Well, an expectation. Moreover, it's expectation, mm-hmm. right? And, and no child wants to be um, flagged yeah, because they don't want it goes back to rejection, right? They don't want to be rejected. I, that's wow. And so even with, I think yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you keep going. I just think that um, it's it's predominant. It's very rich in our population, but we just um, we don't teach from an early age that it's okay to talk about anything that's going on with you. Mm-hmm. That, that's the thing. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, we try to normalize or generalize too much. I agree with you. We don't, we don't necessarily focus on, on how the individual perceives reality because you don't often hear the conversation of how do you feel today. And I know that's experience-based right. and, you know, how many people do you hang out with and all that other stuff. But as a kid, I don't ever... Like, that's all I remember doing vividly, once again, just first-hand experience, but um, is assuming that my friends thought this way or assuming that, right. you know, like that kid who gets up on stage and is really into it, everyone thinks yeah. he's like a little, uh, he sucks up to the teacher or something like that. Like, right. I would be ashamed to put my give myself that much attention. And then I would assume that everyone else, you know, thinks that same way or that, Right. Uh, my friends who are playing uh, soccer, they're better than me. Like, I would never actually go out on a limb and have a conversation. And right. I, it's that's pro- probably me with a lot of my childhood things. But when I got to LPO, the alternative school, um, kids there were going through hell. Mm-hmm. And there I learned, because people there, some of them had not very much issues at all some of them are really good like um very intelligent human beings who are really applying themselves um, mm-hmm. other kids though you see them where they were just so utterly broken that kind of like what you're talking about with schizophrenia but um with different just behavioral issues that they couldn't stop, yeah. keep it down anymore and they would like flip out and throw stuff in the middle of class and, and yeah. seeing that, seeing someone going through all of that, I didn't, it created, made my insecurities not seem invalid, but benign. Right. 
and I realized that people have a hard time just like I do. But the thing right. was is that there was no, um, and I don't want to just blame institutions, but there there was no infrastructure, no encouragement to say like, okay, well, you know, how do you feel today, or any of the just any talking about how I saw, how I looked at things. Yeah. Yeah. We don't we don't encourage children to to um, be introspective, which, what is that about? Mm-hmm. I, you know, they should be. Yeah, I agree. Then, you know, within boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. You just, you know, you can't be a jerk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but be in, introspective. You know, you can't be mean, but, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We don't. I, I think we do a bad job with, 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 but not only kids, but I mean, in society as a whole. Yeah. Everybody must fit the cookie cutter, right? Well, that's hogwash. Exactly. It's in it. That's the thing that you 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 might understand this. You do understand this better than I do. But that is the thing that that I felt with media when I was very little, and internet wasn't as um, mm-hmm. uh, all consuming as it is now. Because when I looked at, like, interviews on, you know, Good Morning America and stuff like that, mm-hmm. there it was just a cherry-picked representation of a, yes. of a unrealistic life. Yeah. And, it's toxic, in my opinion. Yes. And you, you now, like, if you read a book, for instance, and you read someone's autobiography, you could potentially, not every time, but potentially see the entire swing of someone's life because usually yeah. like even a greatest person that's that's only you know a handful of moments in their life and the rest of their life is well that's yeah, pretty relative and yeah i think now or at least i'm hopeful because they have the podcasting is on the rise and there's uh, a lot of people who are sharing their own experiences like coping with anxiety and stuff and it's mm-hmm. really interesting, and people who are, um, I guess, cultural leaders in their own way mm-hmm. are having those conversations. So it's not like mm-hmm. based off the idea, okay, what idea is going to sell? What are people going to want to watch or want to listen? Mm-hmm. Just put it out there because it's low risk, and you just see what happens. Yeah, I I think that that's important because just like music too is when you listen to a musician and they're talking about this struggle that you've always, you know, kept to yourself because, once again, like you said, afraid you'd get flagged as a child, um, it diminishes its power, its hold over you. Right. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, when, how do you feel about Eastern medicine coming from, like, uh, nursing school and stuff like that? Well... It's interesting. Some some schools actually do teach a little bit of it, mm-hmm. where others don't. Oh, okay. And it, it's truly personal. I mean, even some doctors um, subscribe to it and others don't. Mm-hmm. But I personally think that there's a place for both. And there's a place for both of them together. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should abandon either one, Eastern or Western medicine. Don't want to throw the baby out of the basket. Right. Yes. right. And I I even see, too, is regardless if some, because I know some Eastern, um, I know it's all-encompassing, the huge 
generalization Eastern uh, medicine, but some forms of Eastern medicine that has been uh, proven clinically, very few, but even if it's um, placebo effect, the, like some of the research that I've read on the placebo effect, the nocebo effect, uh, just how powerful hijacking mm -hmm. that, that, uh, that part of our brain or that capacity that we have right. is really valuable. And right. <clears throat> I've even seen people with the, what it was Parkinson's and they have like yeah. sham surgeries or whatever, and they come out and the success rate is so high. It was, it's so yeah. surprising. Yeah, the mind is pretty powerful, right? Yeah, it, it is. And yeah. I... Uh, but there's certain things you can't do that. It's unethical, like cancer. Yes. That would be unethical. And if they were to do that in the form of cancer, that would be saying, like, you got chemo, but you really didn't, right? Right, yeah. right. Okay, yeah. Which we have blind studies. We do blind studies, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, it's called a double blind. Okay. Um, but the patient goes into it knowing that it's a double blind. And typically, it's a disease process that they've exhausted any ability to get a remission, let alone a cure just is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a little bit different. Um, but, you know, for like something that would be curable, that would be unethical to put somebody in a double blind um, study. That makes sense because of the, the consequence. You know that you could cure them and the consequence of Right, and if they're getting that placebo and they die because, you know, the placebo effect didn't work, mm -hmm. um, that would be tragic. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And, but, huh? Uh, and even in the form of, like, depression and stuff like that, I find it interesting, and not with necessarily a disease. Oh, I guess, what well, Parkinson's disease, but... Um, with people within depression, though, the placebo effect just seems to be pretty high uh, in comparison yeah, to medication. But I heard that they uh, that if the, when a drug goes through clinical trials, if it's already beaten the placebo once, you can't like go back and test it against the placebo again and get it taken off. Correct. Which is right. kind of crazy because things change so wildly, and the placebo effect of antidepressants now is. is extremely high because we all know what those annexes and stuff like yeah. that. Like, but, yeah. And yeah. So have you always worked at the same place in your um, no. in cancer mm -hmm. patients? No? No, I worked for 15 years with one hospital and I worked two jobs at that time and then worked for a private practice for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And then I've only been with Kaiser for a year and a half. Okay. And do you, at, in your in the practices that you've worked in, do they ever do like a end of life kind of care or a certain? Yes, it's actually mandated by the federal government now. Oh, whoa! Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was Obama, yeah. I think, did that. And so, could you elaborate on that a little bit on what that is? Well, it depends on on the prognosis and stuff, right? Uh -oh. So, so what they have it's a continuum of care, which is really good. Um, so even for people who are potentially we believe we're going to cure them, they actually get care afterwards in 
support groups um, and um, um, actually some psychological help because once they're done, they often kind of fall apart because they feel like even though they have a very large likelihood that they will be cured, you know, in their head they're thinking they're not doing anything for this cancer that was in their body, and so they're afraid they're going to relapse. Um, so they have a hard time just suddenly saying, all right, this is your last chemo, you're done, we'll see you later, goodbye, you know. Um, so they have a bunch of different classes and um, support groups to help them with that, which is wonderful. Now, and then into life care for the dying patient is superb. They they do it so much better now with hospice. Mm-hmm. And hospice encompasses also the family members, which is wonderful. Wow, really? So they, they reach out to Kaiser's phenomenal at it. They reach out to the family members. And this I learned through losing your granny, my mom, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that Kaiser still reaches out to me every few months to see if I want to attend one of their um, groups. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's because I was her caretaker, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty phenomenal. So, so we're much better in the medical industry with that. Much better. Mm-hmm. You kind of see more co- continuity of care. Yes, shifting a little bit too, and putting more um, value on the mm-hmm. psychological repercussions. Yes, I understand. Yes, much better at it. You experienced uh, Obamacare as a. Um, within the medical mm-hmm. industry. How was that? I've I've heard that small practices, it was like, um, it ruined small practices. And I don't know what that, if that's true or not, but what is your experience? It was tough on small practice, yeah. But really it wasn't necessarily as much Obamacare as it was the Medicare cutbacks. That, that is what, it was, I don't know, maybe seven years ago. For some reason, Congress got a wild bear up their butt thinking that oncologists, oncologists made too much money. Oh, which, really? Yeah, it was so crazy because the drugs, well, are so expensive. I mean, there's some drugs, each treatment, the drug purchase price alone is $33,000. Holy, wow. Is that how much the, and it costs a lot to make it or...? That's how much. That's how much the provider has to pay for that drug, and that's and that's a drug they're getting every three weeks. Oh, what every so three think weeks? About that. Yes. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So think about that. that okay. Is... So then you have Medicare that says, "Oh, we're only going to reimburse you half." How can a private practice do that? Whoa, that's the... How can they pay $17,000 out of their pocket every three weeks for this patient? The hemorrhaging money. Yeah. They wouldn't succeed, right? Yeah. So, moreover, that's Medicare cutbacks, not as much as Obamacare. Uh-huh. Now, I do think Obamacare is not so um, fair, but I guess life isn't fair. Uh, as in how? We- well, because you have, I had an experience where mm-hmm. there is a middle class 
patient who's paying into his insurance, right, through his employer, and he's paying a high premium. Yeah. And he's told he can only have X amount of visits with the doctor. That's all that's covered. So he wants to see the doctor every week that he has this treatment, but he can't because his insurance doesn't cover it, so they can only have a, a um like a phone conference or something. But he wants to see his doctor. Yeah. But he can't. And then there's this other guy, I'm not exaggerating, sitting right next to him, who is receiving carb lunch. Really? Yeah, because he's on the Obamacare, right? And to the point where they reach out to him, he's homeless, and they say, you know, do you need a place to stay? We can help arrange that for you. And nothing out of pocket. And he gets to see that doctor. Wow. How fair is that? That is. That's crazy. And it's that attempt to that idea, the notion of leveling the playing field. That's, wow. So, of course, this middle class gentleman picks up on this. Yeah. They're only a few feet away from each other. And he gets irate about it. Which, yeah, I would too, right? That's yeah. okay. You know? Um, so, no, I don't think it works so well. I think single payer would be good and then allow people to pay up. So, if they want better service, they want better coverage, then they pay a premium for it. Let that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if you re- really feel like everybody should have insurance, fine, single payer. Everybody gets the same level, period, like in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then, if you want, better insurance then you pay for it if yeah. you're able and that's i thought that as well because i've heard that like i've heard up in canada how they have um free health care that they have issues mm-hmm. getting people in when they need certain surgeries or even for like a cold mm-hmm. or be weightless and that's my thought is well why don't you just make it a premium for convenience i know that exactly if you want to be seen right away yeah make that a premium that'd be perfect Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. And if you want like someone who has literally the, I don't know about that though, that actually bad, but I was going to say the cutting edge, like someone who's using stem cells to repair shoulder injuries, but make that one a premium until it, it has the trickle down effect. Like, yeah. And it would drop. But people freak out about that. They say, oh my gosh, that's like trying to get an Aryan race or something. No, it isn't. No. That only the privileged are going to get, no, because everybody has a baseline. Yeah. And you know, it would drive innovation. It's almost like saying that only the privilege. Oh no, that might be a stretch. But only the pri- I'll go with it. Only the privilege are going to be able to drive race cars. But it, it trickles down into consumer cars as well. Like it all does. the technology. Exactly. No, that's actually a good analogy. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's that. Yeah, that's because I always thought when you were saying the single fare, were you would you advocate for free health care and then paying for free uh, or not paying but for paying for premium services or yeah. still paying through like your employer? No, I think for premium that'd be fine. And that's how employers then would offer premium if people wanted to yeah. participate in it. And then the yeah. employers can do the matching thing. Because that's what I always thought exactly. was interesting is that we have public education but health care though is not like you have, you don't have an unalienable right to be healthy, but you have an unalienable right to um, education. Right. I didn't, I never really understood that very well. You could be on your deathbed and still go to class. Because yeah. I've seen situations where people, you would have a better understanding of this because they could be very ignorant about this. 
But I, I have heard situations where people are come down with a serious illness and then they have to like let go of their house, for instance, or put their house on the market because they can't afford all the costs. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary thing to put someone in because, for instance, mm-hmm. if you look at like um, my culture, <clears throat> the people that I grew up around, not family, just friends as well, is that mm-hmm. when you, you get hurt, if it's nothing serious, you know, if it's not literally going to kill you, you don't go in because you have to pay money that could be your food on the plate. And yeah, but see, but that's just it. So you're not going to fix society, though, because yeah. there's people who, and I don't even know what it is. Um, it's definitely lower economic that you see this. And so I don't know why. I don't know because it can't be education. I'm not sure what it is. It's a culture thing, I think. But somebody who knows something's wrong with them and they keep just avoiding going to the doctor. And then we get this patient who comes to us with stage four breast cancer that's out of control. She's not going to survive it because she didn't come when when she initially knew something was wrong five years ago. Oh, I see. And you see that more and more with lower socioeconomic people. Mm-hmm. What is that about? Why? Hmm. Do you, you think that that's an interesting thing too, because you could almost like in my experience, I could say that, okay, you're put in a position to where you have to outweigh the cost benefit. And generally person in that situation, even though you can't generalize, it's really hard, but more likely to be impulsive. So you're looking at the benefit now instead of the one in the long run. For me, for instance, is if I came down with like a severe cold, I would do everything to research it so I don't have to uh, bear the burden of paying this money, you know what I mean, to go get care, which I should have in uh, quite a few cases, actually. Um, I am also curious, though, if that same behavior is what people, is also, for some people, keeps them impoverished. Does that make sense? Like, devaluing their health and stuff like that, if that goes along with the culture. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. But it's frustrating. Yeah. Because you get these people in with advanced disease, and I know, oh, my gosh, we could have stopped this. And then, though, you have, so, oh, going back to Eastern medicine, I had a patient that was so hard not to be mad at her. Really? Um. Yeah, it's so hard. And, and you know, that's the first thing. You don't project your beliefs onto your patient. Mm-hmm. You can't do that, right? But this was hard for me. Um, she was young, and she had lymphoma, a very curable lymphoma. And um, she didn't want um, the chemistry. She didn't want chemo. It was toxic. She didn't want it. Oh, and we're like, but you have a 90% chance of being cured. Why wouldn't you do this? Wow. And she had young children, right? Oh, no. And she had, she had just left a bad uh, marriage. She got divorced. I mean, the guy was super abusive. Uh-huh. All right, so these kids have already been through a lot. Um, and so she went and did some stupid shyster stuff in Mexico, like coffee grand enemas and stuff. Oh, no. Yeah, for a year, and came back to us, and she had this huge mass on her neck, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she was metastatic disease now. It was all over. And she she got chemo. We tried, but it was too late. And she was so angry with us, which was too bad. Um, and it was all because she didn't want that toxic chemicals, which I get it. Chemo, we're fighting fire with fire. It is. It's terrible stuff. Really? You know? Gnarly? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a, in the wrong situation, I mean, chemo causes cancer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, you know? Wow. So... So we're fighting fire with fire, but but you that's that's why I say you cannot abandon either. You cannot abandon Western medicine mm-hmm. in my field, you know, it's detrimental. I mean, this is kind of might be all silly, all hippie shit, but there's literally nothing that you can completely and entirely abandon right. in this life. Like there, there's nothing that you can encounter that just getting rid of it purely is going to help things. Even when you talk about um, adversity and you talk about minorities or people even with um, kind of like what I was talking about earlier and, you know, people not going to get health care because they can't afford it and how you're saying at the same Mm -hmm. time it's not going to fix society is you're right, is nothing is ever 100%. Nothing is ever, it's just that balance. It's that midline. Right, right. Yeah, which is, seems hard to... So I don't know what the answer is, though. Because, you know, England, they have their problems with their with their um, medical um, coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada has their issues. But I don't hear a lot of complaints from people who live in Australia, though, which is interesting. Yeah, I don't hear a lot of complaints from people who live in Australia about anything. Man, that place is know, right? Like, yeah. Outside of that, the censorship. All, the only thing I know about that is they don't allow South Park in there. I think. Right. Or certain right. Stuff. But, yeah. They don't have the crime issue like we do though either. Yeah, that, and I well at the same time I think the whole of Australia is the size of LA I believe, but it's this the in terms of population and then um, land mass it's what the size of North. Oh North yeah, no, because Australia itself is huge. Yeah. Right. It, it's huge and with very few people. Right, right, right. So maybe that's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's interesting yeah. too because they started off as a prison population. Uh huh. All the bad people, supposedly, right? Yep. All the outlaws, yeah. young and gun. But but so you talk about the, you know, Canada's health healthcare system. You know, I had a patient who, when I was in the private practice. Oh really? Um, yeah, who came because he had a job where he was actually from Canada. But he had a job that he worked in the States as well, and he'd go back and forth. Mm-hmm. And he actually had a lymphoma and a very curable disease. But he had befriended somebody in Canada um, who, I guess they met at the doctor's office. And they didn't, you know, and it's hard to say because you really can't compare diseases, even if it's the same disease, because it can be very different in each individual. Mm-hmm. But they delayed that person's treatment by a few months, right? And unfortunately, that person died. Oh, no. Yeah, and this guy is cured, right? Yeah. But because they were, they didn't get his appointment with the oncologist for like five weeks when he was diagnosed. Uh-huh. And so he said, forget it, I'm going to the States because um, I have some work to do there anyways, and I'm going to pursue my health care there. 
and we got him in right away. Got him in treatment within a week and a half. Um, and I mean, he's he's cured. Uh-huh. So you know, so there's the flaw with Canada, right? And then they know for a fact with 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 England, um, there's only so much they'll do. They'll actually analyze um, health performance and age to treatment. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, I never knew that. So they have a, that's... If, yeah, so if you have poor health performance and you're old, you don't get the treatment because it it doesn't make good good business sense, which it doesn't. That's true. But 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 you know how do you who, quantify who, are, who are you to say that? Yeah, right? like how do you quantify that? Where do you draw the line? That's very true. Because right. as a cigarette smoker, knowing that I had to pay more money, that's very small. But I would imagine mm-hmm. that hurt my feelings. You know, that's a small, insignificant thing. But I would imagine if I was deprioritized because I smoked cigarettes. Damn. Yeah. 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 You have lung cancer, um, and you're you're 75 years old, and you smoked, so you have a poor performance. (laughs) So forget it. You don't get the chemo, bad boy. (laughs) That's crazy. And I crazy. I would imagine it. My it could come out in different ways too, with someone just being born. I don't know, with poor performance, if you will. Or I would hope well, that it that's, wouldn't be Well, that that's way. just it. Because there's there's a scale that we follow for um, um, performance as far as, you know, if somebody's physically able to take care of themselves and all of that, right? Yeah. And it's actually scaled. And you do actually use that scale for the level of a protocol you're going to use, which you have to. Because if you come, if you have a patient coming to you who has horrible neuropathy, which is numbness and tingling in the hands and feet, maybe because of diabetes, right? Yeah. We can't give them this chemotherapy that's going to cause really bad neuropathy because then the person's going to fall every time they try to walk. Mm. They can't do that. That's not safe, right? Yes. Um, so we we have to have, uh, an ability to rate somebody's performance level, um, and you do alter the protocols, but to totally say, "Oh no, because you're too old," I'm not so sure. I agree with. I, I know I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I see. That's you know. And so, what's the answer? I don't know. Yeah, well, I I would hope that you know as technology increases, we're able to uh, decentralize. Our decision making um using technology it's yeah always it's been something that's been very interesting to me with um our culture and how it's shifting on a global scale because now when people and it's it's i believe it's in its infancy, but when people put out their thoughts and ideas now and yeah, I don't know a couple hundred people see it for instance. As opposed to being in your own uh, small cultural bubble where like 10 people see it. And someone can, uh, if you say something that is threatening to our to a community as a whole, uh, there's trolls too, but which are exceptions. But if you say something that's threatening like, um, fuck black people, uh, I would mm-hmm. like to burn them, for instance. And you are necessarily, you would probably get attacked and called out on, on the internet, mm-hmm. which... Uh, does something to shape us uh, as a 
as a culture globally. And I think like through voting and stuff like that, you're basically getting this increased level of transparency, in my opinion. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think social media um, definitely um, is good for our communities, but it also, I think, offers too much instant gratification and um, takes away the ability for people to actually critically think through things. They're more, it creates more impulsive behavior. That's what I think. I can see that. And you, almost like you're, you're scrolling and you're getting this validation through like some form of likes or mm-hmm. that. And that hijacks to your, um, your your brain chemicals, what, serotonin? Serotonin yeah. or dopamine or both? I think it's just serotonin. But, serotonin. Yeah, getting all those likes. And it's interesting, too, because that's what becomes marketable is the thing that's becoming that is addictive. Right. You're trying to occupy someone's time and money, right. and in the in order to do that efficiently and effectively, you kind of have to hijack um, mm-hmm. our desires. Right. That that's like what I find interesting about um, Instagram too, with its large pictures and its whole system of uh, giving you things that you are only going to like constantly. Facebook the same way; it has algorithms to um, give yeah. you things that support what you want. Which, going back to what we were talking about with cold and hot um, or temperature thresholds, is Mm -hmm. being in this level of comfort and complacency uh, only actually does more harm in the end. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think it's just going to be very interesting, kind of scary on some level, just to see what the next few generations will, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I agree, and I, I'm hoping that we don't continue to nerf our society because I feel mm-hmm. like that is creating an intolerance. Um, mm-hmm. I almost liken it to uh, stoicism, if you will. I'd rather mm-hmm. have stoics than a bunch of um, fragile human beings who are uh, reactionary to even the smallest things. That's right. It's like exactly. with identity politics, we're um, creating you know, safe spaces and uh, like in New York, you can sue someone if they do not use the correct, correct pronoun or any of that. And it goes back to mental health once again is instead of creating all of these um, uh, litigious actions, you, you giving empowering the individual in order to cope and manage with any situation that they encounter. Because, right. I mean, like Coeur d'Alene, Idaho had Ku Klux Klan Aryan Nation uh, marches for a while. And... <sighs> They were, you know what happened though, is all of the shops would close because most people disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And so if most people disagree with that, I don't think you should make it to where it's uncomfortable to talk about that anymore. Right. And, right. And that's, once again, what we were talking about earlier is it's this inability to communicate with one another for fear mm-hmm. of being uh, flagged as a human being. It, That's right, or rejected. Yes, it's very dangerous because it creates this yeah. us, it, having this us versus them paradigm and whatever group you affiliate your, with yourself yourself That's with. Right. It, it, it's just, yeah, dangerous in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I would hope that um, our culture within social media uh, moves towards that in the end, but mm-hmm. we'll see. But, yeah. Yeah, I hope, but 
it still has such a a slant and 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 I think that's just it that that I think your generation and the generation after you mm-hmm. um, doesn't necessarily now this might be a way over generalization, but mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily do the the appropriate amount of data collection before judging or before coming to an opinion mm, I see and i, I would I would agree with that because of this access to information oftentimes. Right, so instant. Yes. yes, and we feel like you, you look at, you know, one article and immediately yeah. it validates your thoughts. And you have an echo chamber too, which everyone in that right. chamber will likely validate your thoughts. Right. One article and one video, you know. Are yeah. you kidding me? Because, and, and this alludes to all the police stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Holy cow, I get so infuriated with people who become so judgmental when, you know, there's a person, a perpetrator, you know, going after an officer, you know, and and when the officer actually uses his force, which is his firearm, right, mm-hmm. um, that they're judged so heavily. Like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know, you put yourself in that situation. Yep, us versus them. Once again, is that you're you have such high expectations for this thing that's other than you that you think you yeah. for some reason once again the high expectations that they're able to handle things easier, whereas it's just another you, just in a police officer outfit. Yeah, it's the same guy yeah. who accidentally yelled at um, I don't know one of his friends one night, or you did anything like. Right. And I've listened to interviews with um, police officers. Like one time there was a police officer, him and his uh, chief were responding to, uh, I think, a burglary. And they had to get out of their car. They forgot to put the e-brake on. The car was rolling back. They left their uh, <clears throat> their radios in there. And it's like, oh, yeah. <clears throat> I've, even in crazy situations, like intense situations, yeah. I have done some pretty stupid shit, too. Exactly. Your adrenaline's running. Yeah. You know? And, 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 you know, they leave their, their family every day not knowing if they'll see them again. And, and that goes on in their head, mm-hmm. you know. And, so, and, you know, and they try not to focus on that, but it's just nuts. There was a guy on the news just the other day. They were, I don't know why they interviewed him. and um, But he was an officer who was shot. And you know how they try to make it a race thing, and it's not at all. Mm-hmm. But so this took took that away from it because it was it was both they were both African American, and in his because he had a um, he was wearing a camera. The cop was mm-hmm. right, um, and he's telling the guy, "Get your hands out of your pocket." So the cop gave the perpetrator a benefit of of the doubt which he was wrong to do, right? Yeah. Kept telling him, he told him four times, get your hand out of your pocket, where, you know, another officer may have already shot this guy after the second time of saying that, right? Yeah. And so that fourth time, the guy pulled his um, hand out and shot the officer three times. Really? Oh yep, my pulled God. the gun out and shot him. Holy so that officer made a life-altering decision to try to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. 
And sure enough, he shot him. And you, see, you know, many other officers will probably see that or hear that story, and that's going to influence. Their yeah, opinion. of course, it's going to influence them, yeah, right? That is. Yeah. Jeez. Anyways, I just hate that people are so quick to judge because they watch a video, mm-hmm. right? And it's once again cherry pick. It is cherry pick. Only a moment, one moment in that video. They did not see it from the beginning to the end, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I think um, social media stinks. It's not good for the society. If you have, and apparently there's about, um, what is it? 1.1 million full or police officers on a full-time basis in 2008 in the United States. And if, yeah, in 2008. And if you have even what 45, 1.45, and, and it's not once again to you know to take to detract from um, the suffering that any families went through or even police officers went through, but if you had even like. Oh, a hundred and one point one million. That is, I think that's less than one percent. Right. And it's it, people. People do make mistakes. And going back to once again when we were talking sure. about the system, is you're looking at it's just in every. There is a slight amount of imperfection in almost everything, and it's not an excuse to just let things continue. But it's right. like you said, not being so quick to judge all, all right. individuals. You're generalizing in an entire community, just like. Um, black people are a subgroup of, are a group within humanity. Um, police officers are a group within humanity as well. And you can't generalize about, um, black people, but you can't generalize about police officers either. Nope. 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 There's there's fuckers everywhere. There are. They come in all shades and colors. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All shades and colors and heights. I'm sure little people, (laughs) sometimes some little people out there aren't very nice. That's Um, right. I support the body cam thing because then you at least, you hold the people accountable and that, without this, uh, eliminating the hearsay and stuff. That's right. No, I support body cam completely. It keeps keeps it completely real, Mm -hmm. you know? Without any um, emotional or imaginative... uh, Right. Right because, politics. right, because definitely when the adrenaline gets pumping, it does change your reality, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Anyways, so I'm not totally a fan of all the social media. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm like, not either. I, I'm, um, I'm waiting for something, for another company to try to appeal to a different aspect of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there's some interesting things out there that are uh, trying to connect people and bring people closer together, but I hope it, so. Yeah, I hope so. Um, because it was, wasn't it Einstein that said a long time ago, right, about something about that we we're just going to raise a bunch of idiots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much. Pretty much, people who. Like you even look through um, through it in the lens of wilderness too. When you talk about being out in the wild, and people talk, or uh, always caution, you know, what if you run into a bear? Or what if you get lost? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, it's life. It's if you it don't, is. If you're not prepared and if you're not aware, there's consequences. They're real. Exactly. It's, it's, yep. 
I say all the time, we have to stop dumbing down life. <laughs> we do. I, I no yep. participation trophies, please. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you you shouldn't need a sign that says bears live in the woods, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Thank you guys very much for listening. Once again, if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review, and share to all your friends. Fuck it. To even your exes. To your kids. Oh, wait. No, it's explicit. To your grandparents. <laughs> Anyone. Everyone. And next week's episode, I'm going to do a solo episode. I'm going to play around with some stories and work on some concepts that I've been thinking about over the past years. If you don't like it, I won't do it again. If you do, fuck it. I'll keep doing it. (laughs) Thank you guys for listening through all of these episodes. It really means a lot to me, and this has been a really interesting um, experience. Till next time. Bye.